we know that God is able to do all things um, and to make everything that is wrong right. Uh, but we most of all want to want to be sure that we're in tune with Him. Uh, rather than having him in tune with us. And, and speaking of being in tune with him, tonight we're going to talk about a subject that requires us understanding or at least giving, uh, opening our minds to what God is doing way beyond our own comprehension, way beyond, beyond our own understanding. So if you would open up with me to Job chapter 9 tonight, we'll be turning to Matthew chapter 2 later on in our study um, we often talk about how Christmas uh, was long, long in the making, uh, how God was preparing for Christmas centuries, even thousands of years before it was ever it ever came. I think tonight's lesson is going to really punctuate that truth. Uh, I think tonight's lesson is going to put in perspective uh, and maybe even break our brains a little bit. And that's a good thing. It's a good thing for our brains and our minds to be a little bit overwhelmed because it, it allows us to see that God is bigger and God is higher and God is greater. And it's good for us to be not confused but it's good for us to be a little bit overwhelmed and humbled to the point that we just bow our unworthy heads and we say to the Lord, you are higher than us, you are greater than us, and we are so glad to be a part of your plan. We, we don't always understand how God works, but we, you know, I think we don't, we, we often think we have to know what God is doing, but we, we really shouldn't have that attitude because you turn a light switch on every time you walk into the room and you have no idea, even if you're an electrician, you still don't know all the intricate details of why the lights turn on when you flip the switch. Yeah, there's some cords connected and, and there's some wires and there's some light bulbs, but, but you don't really know how it works. You just know that when you flip that switch, it's going to work. You, you don't know, you know, all the details of your car, the catalyst, when you crank the key and when it shoots you know, ignition, uh, you know, fire the ignition. We don't know how all that stuff works, right? We kind of have an idea that it involves gasoline and fire and all this other combustion, but we don't know, right? But we still do it and we rely on it and we don't even think twice about it when we crank our cars and turn on light switches and we turn on our devices, our computers, our phones. We just do it, right? You don't know how you can type a message on your phone and hit send and it show up someone else's on the other side of the world. You don't know how that works, but you do do it right and you're glad that it works that way and you're glad that someone way out someone out there smarter than you figured it all out and just gave you the tools to be able to use it so in the same way there are things that you'll never understand about God and there's things that your flesh will say I've got to understand this or I'm not going to believe God but but that's just the devil trying to distract you there's a lot of things we'll never understand, but that doesn't mean we can't believe and all and, and, and be in wonder at how God is working all things out. And I think tonight's subject will do a world at making us feel humbled, but also allow us to appreciate that God is in control and that God has a plan and that God is so, uh, his, his, his involvement is so deeper than we could ever ever figure out. So we've talked about this subject before. I think it bears repeating about two, three years ago, we talked about this. Um, and, and I think it, it just, it's worth repeating. Um, and, and it helps us to appreciate, I think, the layers and elements all at play that work together to give the Christmas story, to give us the Christmas story that we know so well. So to get us started, um, I got to ask you a pretty simple question, albeit it might be an odd question, um, considering that you're in church. And you might say, there's nothing simple about that question, um, but uh, y'all know me. I'm going to make sure we explain it and, and we put it into as layman's term as we can. So the question is, does anyone know what a light year is, or have you ever heard of a light year? Um, I think that we all can at least say that we've heard of a light year, whether you know what a light year is or not. Um, I'm, about, I'm about to tell you what a, what a light year is. So, um, And I promise you the answer is pretty simple once you hear it. 
explain. A light year is the distance light travels in one earth year. So a light year is how far light travels in the span of one year of Earth's time. Now, we know that, that time on Earth is different than time on Mars or different than time on Jupiter or any other planet because time on Earth is determined, about, uh, determined by uh, spinning around the sun, right? And our planet spins around the sun at different rates and different speeds as other planets and, and so forth. So light year, a light year is the distance light travels in one year, specifically one Earth year. So one light year is about six trillion it's a lot of zeros, six trillion miles. So I want you to file that information away, write it down, and we'll come back to it later on in the message. Um, you may not think you ever will need to know what a light year is, but I promise you it'll be important for later on in the message. Now, um, if you've been here long enough, you know that sometimes uh, we're at church and a conversation breaks out about science and physics and about the heavens. Uh, I think that it's, uh, it's fitting that we talk about space at church sometimes because if we believe that God is somewhere out there and if, if, if heaven is somewhere out there, up there, um, that the closer we get to God, we've got to go through the heavens to get there and we've got to go through the space to get there because we go to the earth's atmosphere and it's not just heaven, right? But there's a bunch of of space. There's, a, there's an atmosphere, there's a cosmos that somewhere way out there is God, but between us and God is this mighty thing that we call, in simple terms, space, outer space. Now, there's a lot of intersection between God and the Bible and science pertaining to space, the stars in the heavens above. The Bible, as you may know, um, has a lot to say about nature, specifically the heavens and the stars and the sky. The Bible has a lot to say about the stars and about the sky above and about the heavens and the space beyond. There are dozens of passages and verses like this one that you probably know from Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. So why does it do us good to observe what's going on in the heavens or in space? It's because they are declaring the glory of God. As in there's something unique about what the heavens are saying, about what space is saying. The, the thing that makes it a blessing for us that we don't just get to look up, but we get to zoom in and we get to watch footage uh, that telescopes and, and that uh, you know, Hubble space um, uh, you know, satellites have taken. And, and different satellites have taken, we get to see up close and personal, even here, what is going on in the heavens, what is going on in the space above us. And we get to hear with an exclamation point at the end of it, the heavens declaring the glory of God. The sky and space above proclaims his handiwork. So why does God let us look above? And why is it a blessing for our generation for the last 30 years, 40 years that we get to see even farther out than any other generation is that we get to hear the handiwork of God and uh, see the handiwork of God proclaimed and displayed more than ever before. And that is something that it might not interest you. It might not really do much for you. It just looks like a lot of light and a lot of color, but still, Psalm 19 verse 1 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. So the ancient world, as you probably know, was obsessed with the heavens. It might not interest you, 
might not really do much for you in our generation. There's a few people that it does a lot for like me, but the ancient world was obsessed with the heavens. They were constantly observing the stars and the skies for signs and wonders, messages from God, or many believed in many gods, and they thought the gods were speaking through the stars. So from the earliest of days, humanity associated the stars and the heavens with the divine, with God, or with the gods, uh, because they they most likely, in, 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 in putting, putting, putting it in the very simple terms, terms. Um, hey, the gods are out there somewhere. Um, they're far from us and the heavens are far above us. So maybe there's something about the gods or about God in the stars above us. So from earth's vantage point, the mystery of the sky, of the sky and what was beyond the sky was so tantalizing. And if you think about it, every day the sun would rise and the moon and the stars would rule the night. From the sky came rain and all the weather that impacted every angle of life. So you can imagine why people were very in tune with what was going on up there because so much of life on earth depended on what came from above. The ancients observed all the mystery and wonder of the sky above. They naturally associated it all with God. And, and maybe it was more than just a natural approach. Maybe there was something pulling their hearts that brought them to this conclusion um, that, that be, you know, beyond what they could see, the brilliant and the spectacle um, and the ferocious nature of it all, knowing that from above came the source of all life, whether it was rain for the crops, whether it was light for the travel and light for operating a day-to-day life. The ancients were quickly, quickly figured out um, all of earth as it operated uh, was dependent on what came from above and what was provided from above. So much of what took place on earth, um, took place beyond earth, was crucial for life is on earth and thus they came to the conclusion that somewhere up there is where God dwells. So almost every ancient religion in their earliest form believed the secret to the mystery of the divine was somewhere in the stars. So they monitored every star. They paid attention to the patterns in the sky. Every phenomenon was studied. Over time, constellations were discovered. Different kinds of stars that came in and out of orbit were monitored. Um, you, can, uh, uh, you can Google constellations and you can find all sorts of images like this. I know this is it's hard to see probably with the lights, um, but you can see the, the different lines that are connected um, and that, that provide these pictures that the ancients believed were signs of some kind. You and I are smart enough to know, well, that's just people connecting dots. I mean, I can connect dots and make them look like anything, um, connecting stars. But the ancients believed that there was some message from above through the stars. Now, uh, this is not just a pagan thing. Um, Even the ancient Hebrews believed that God was talking through the stars. Um, So if you read the book of Job, um, which is really one of the earliest recorded books, and it's uh, uh, from one of the earliest civilizations in the world, um, Job, most believe, lived around the same time as Abraham. We'll talk more about him in a minute. But Job lived around the same time as Abraham, so around 2000 BC. So the book of Job is probably one of the earliest written books of the Bible. Uh, Job's book mentions the constellations as a testimony and reflection of the mystery and power of God, showcasing that there are things we'll never know, and clearly the heavens reflect the almighty and infinite nature of God and suggest that God is up to something that we might not ever really figure out all the details. So 
I want you to follow along with me in Job chapter one and, or Job chapter nine. And this is one of those chapters where Job is just ooing and eyeing at God and he's just marveling at who God is. And in the meantime, or as part of this, this uh, as part of his worship, he mentions um, some of these constellations. And, and I wanted to show you that this is not just something that I'm pulling out of science or pulling out of secular culture. This is biblical. Um, and Job, again, writing one of the earliest books of the Bible, um, Job is, is one that mentions it to us. So follow along with me and you'll know it when you see it here in, in, in verse number nine where he mentions these constellations. Job answered, uh, and he's answering some of the critics that are debating him. Truly, I know it is so, but how can a man be righteous before God? If one wished to condemn with him, he could not answer him out one time out of a thousand. And Job is just saying that, that God is so much bigger than us. God is so much more right than us. How could we ever, um, without his intervention, how could we ever even debate him? God is wise in heart, mighty in strength, who has hardened himself against him and has prospered. So again, there's, 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 it's a one-way street. It's from God to us. There's no from us to him in terms of making our way to him. Um, he removes the mountains and they do not know. When he overturns them in his anger, he shakes the earth out of its place and it's pillars tremble. He commands the sun. It does not rise. He seals off the stars. He alone spreads out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. And, and then Job makes this curious observation. He made the bear, Orion, and Pallades in the chambers of the south. He does great things past finding out, yes, wonders without number. If he goes by me, I do not see him. If he moves past I do not perceive him. So this is Job saying that God is up to something that we'll never quite figure out. And, and Job was fascinated. And again, he's part of this culture that was fascinated with the stars. And these are some of the constellations that Job is writing about. Um, the, the bear, uh, now again, one of that picture on the left, that doesn't look like a bear to us. Um, but uh, if we go back, um, we, can, we can see that Job was identifying um, the bear. And then the other is a warrior. Pilates is, is, uh, is uh, an ancient warrior. Um, speaking of Abraham though, um, Abraham, again, part of this generation from Job, um, uh, Abraham uh, would have been a part of the same Babylonian, Mesopotamian culture, which was obsessed with the heavens. So in this part of the world where Job lived and where Abraham lived, uh, the people built temples like the one you see on the screen um, and houses of worship that were called ziggurats, um, Z-I-G-G-U-R-A-T-S, ziggurats where different shapes and sizes, but they were these big mounds, kind of like pyramids, but a little bit farther west uh, or, or farther east. The, the ziggurat, they believed, um, they, the people built these temples and they believed that the taller they could make them, um, the greater chance they had at connecting with God. So another example of a ziggurat would be like this. This is that, that one we just saw probably is, is the remnant of something like this. Um, and, and, and some of them are even thought to have been even higher, uh, like this next one. Um, which you might recall uh, that image is, is, is uh, an idea of what the most famous ziggurat of them all looked like, and that is the Tower of Babel. Now, of course, in the Tower of Babel, they had a great idea. Uh, we're not just going to build a tower to look into the heavens. We're going to build a tower to um, dethrone God. We're going to build a tower not just to see if we can get a glimpse of God. We're going to build a tower, and we're going to let God get a glimpse of us. And when he sees us, we're going to let him know we don't need you anymore. We don't, have any, we don't have a purpose for you anymore. We're strong enough to take care of our 
ourselves, and we know what came out of that. Um, so Abraham lived in a city called Ur, Ur of the Chaldees, as you'll know it's referred to. Uh, the people of Ur had one of these ziggurats, one of these temples that they would frequent daily, um, weekly, um, to worship and consult with their religious figures. And the Ur, um, Ur of the Chaldees was actually the epicenter of the religion of the day where they worshiped the moon god, um, the moon god, and they called him Nana, not like your grandma, but, but, uh, but uh, that was a name in, in, their, in their language. Um, Nana was the moon god. Now you might wonder, uh, why would the ancients worship the moon and not the sun? Um, well, you probably have heard of the song Arabian Nights. It's not called Arabian Day uh, for a reason because the Arabian Nights were breathtaking in the ancient world. Um, without any natural light, without any light pollution, um, you could look up and you could see um, the stars on display and, and you can still go to this part of the world today where there aren't any street lights and there aren't any spotlights and you can look up and you are really, your breath is taken away as you see the stars on display. And there's some parts of our country, uh, national parks, where there aren't a lot of lights, natural, uh, artificial lights that allow the stars to be appreciated. Uh, another example, um, again, you go into the, uh, to the Arabian desert and you can see the brilliance of the night sky. So they worship the moon god because clearly the night sky was prettier than the daytime uh, sky. And the night sky allowed you to see all of the stars. So these temples would sort of function as observatories, observatories where people go with telescopes in today's world. Um, the priests would do more than just sacrifice to the gods. Um, they would study the sky. Now these priests... Um, were, were, had a special name. These priests were called magi. And in the original language, magi means stargazer, stargazer. So these priests were not just priests like we think of in the Jewish religion where they would go in with robes and sacrifice on the altar. These priests were stargazers. These priests were called magi. The Magi would spend their days on top of these towers, studying the stars, looking for signs, hoping to understand the gods. And, and you might wonder, how could they look up to the stars before they had telescopes? And that's a good question. But again, before artificial lights made it hard to see, they would go up on these towers and they could see the night sky for hundreds of miles. And, and they would observe how some of the stars moved. Now we know that if the stars move, they're either a comet or they're a planet. They're bright like a star, but they're bigger than stars. That They would observe how some of the stars move. And as they looked at these night skies, night after night after night, they would begin to notice patterns. And they would begin to, to, to notice pictures. And they believed, again, they were pagans. They were worshiping these all these foreign false gods. But they believed the gods were saying something through these stars. So these magi were not amateurs. They were the real deal. They knew everything about the heavens that could be known. If anybody was gonna figure out the secret to God or the secret to the gods, they would. And Job, who believes in the one true God, we don't know why Job was looking up in the heavens. We just know that Job agreed with them that there's something up there about God that maybe if we look hard enough, we might figure it out. But, but, uh, but Job comes to the conclusion, you know what? We're probably never gonna get there. We're probably never gonna figure it out. And Job was okay with that. And I'm okay with that. Now, what makes it ironic is that 
when these magi were studying the stars, trying to figure things out about God, who does God reveal himself to in that generation? Not the magi, but a common man, an uneducated man, not a stargazer, a man named Abraham, or as it was originally, Abram. You know how his story goes. Genesis chapter 12, the Lord says to Abram, go from your country, your kindred, your father's house to a land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So little did the Magi know that this man named Abraham was called upon by God, never looked at a star in his life, never worshiped a star in his life, didn't know what was going on in the heavens, but God spoke to him out of nowhere. When we understand the context, it's remarkable because people have been building towers, performing all these rituals, trying to get the attention of the gods or the God up there somewhere. And God just calls Abraham like it's no big deal. But we know this was the beginning of a very big deal. And maybe an even more famous exchange between God and Abraham is God calls on Abraham on one night to look up at the stars. Genesis 15. Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. So shall your offspring be. So in a world where everybody was looking at the stars, in a, in a culture where everybody were obsessed with the stars, God says, Abraham, look up at the night sky and count them, number them. It's a picture of how many of your people will one day populate the earth. And Abraham um, puts his faith in that promise. He believed the Lord and God credited to him a righteous heart. So God tells Abraham the stars were indeed a sign a sign of the multitude of believers that would come through his family. Uh, now, of course, this was just a gesture, but it leaves, but it's leaned to the notion of that day, the ancients were constantly studying the stars, studying the heavens, hoping to hear something. Now, Abraham indeed had heard from God. He had found a connection with God that everybody dreamed of. And as time would pass, Abraham would pass, would, would, would give birth to this nation. Israel established itself as an earthly light reflecting the heaven light, heavenly lights in a world that was still searching for answers. So again, stick with me. Abraham left Babylon. He left the land of the Chaldeans and went to the land that is known as Canaan or now Israel. And years later, it all comes full circle. Because if you've ever read the book of Daniel, the Jews are taken captive back to where Abraham first lived, to the land of Babylon. And lo and behold, we encounter in the book of Daniel, you can go and read Daniel 1, Daniel 2, Daniel 3, and 4. In the book of Daniel, we find these priests. We find these magi. And our English Bibles are a little bit reductive. They call them wise men. But the wise men is really just a, 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 it's kind of a, an oversimplification. Yeah, they were wise because they were of their culture. They were thought to be the wisest men, but they were called magi. And remember, what do magi do? They study the stars. They were advisors to King Nebuchadnezzar, alleging to have the ear of the gods as he tried to rule his kingdom. So Daniel begins revealing God's word to the king and the Magi realize that Daniel is one of the Jewish people who comes from Abraham and they remember this age old kind of envy that Abraham received 
word from God when no one else in his culture did. The Magi thought he was crazy. They said, look at that fool going into the desert. We'll never see him again. Lo and behold, now the Magi meet one of his descendants and they begin to wonder, maybe Abraham's people know something we don't. So Nebuchadnezzar witnesses the power of the Jewish God. He makes known to the kingdoms of the world that the Jewish God was a step ahead of the rest of the world. And the Magi, the priesthood, would never forget this. And they remembered the story of Abraham. And they wrote down the story of Daniel. And they would pass down this story to their next in line, to their successors. So in the meantime, they kept looking at the stars because they just, they, they, they just did what they did. They always followed the stars, monitored the stars, along with the rest of the world. They kept waiting for God to show them what clearly Abraham and Daniel and his people had saw that they could not see. They wondered, what did the Jews know that we don't know? What kind of connection do they have that we can't have? The Jews, of course, they knew that their connection was not normal. They rejoiced knowing that they weren't at the mercy of signs and wonders. They didn't have to look at the stars. They had a direct connection to God through his spirit, through his presence that dwelt in their land. Yet as they worshiped through the years, they never forgot the Jews were always told to remember that what was accessible to them was still a mystery to the rest of the world, that this was always repeated throughout the Old Testament. God wanted the Jews to know what you know and what you have is not normal. Most of the world does not know what you know. Don't take it for granted. Across the stars, they could see the glory of God. They praised him every time they looked up. They remembered how Abraham was the envy of the nations. And that's why the Psalms are filled with verses like we read from Psalm 19. They talk about how God is glorified in the heavens, how God is glorified across the stars. And, and one of my favorite verses that gives us a little bit, a very unique insight, Psalm 147, verse four. God determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. So God is up to something in the heavens. Job knew it. He didn't understand it. But he knew it. Abraham couldn't ever figure it out, but didn't have to. God spoke to him out of nothing. Daniel, again, came from that lineage. But the Magi, the Magi still believe there's something up there. And, and David in Psalm 147 confirms that. God is up to something in the heavens. Don't underestimate what he's trying to say. Now, we talked about this when we mentioned Job. The ancients gave stars names. Now, whether or not the names they gave the stars are the same that God gave them, we don't know. Not really important. But one of the constellations that was determined and monitored long, long ago by the Greeks, by the Persians, by the Babylon, blah, 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 Babylonians, uh, one of the constellations, and you've heard of this one, I know, whether you know what it's referring to or not, one of these constellations is called Leo. Um, and it is in reference to a lion. Again, I know rudimentary doesn't look like much of a lion, but they thought it did. One of the constellations that was very important to the ancients was the constellation Leo, a lion-shaped constellation. In this constellation burned some of the brightest stars in the galaxy. One of those stars that the Babylonians and Persians uh, really paid attention to was called the king star or Sheru. 
The Greeks and the Romans called this star Regulus, which is where we get the word regal. So the king star is part of this lion constellation. Now, we understand lions are kingly. We talk about lions being the king of the jungle. So they had this idea, lions are the king of the beast. The king star is part of this lion constellation. Now, every few hundred years, a very particular phenomenon occurs within the Leo constellation. Every few hundred years, Venus and Jupiter, those are planets, they orbit the sun. Every few hundred years, uh, about every 800 years, um, uh, Jupiter and and Venus align, kind of like an eclipse. They, they, They cross each other's paths. And when they do that, they align close to this king star, close to Regulus, and the result is a phenomenon that, again, when it happens, everybody on planet Earth stands jaw agap. Something like this happens. The brightest star in the galaxy. Now, in 2020, this happened for the first time in 800 years. And there's footage of the star that you can find that resembles this image above. The ancient Middle Eastern Magi believed the planets represented the gods were used by God and that these planets were meant to bring a greater message. So in the mythology of the ancients, Venus was the goddess, Jupiter was the god, and when they came together, these two planets lined up and they shined their light on the king star, also called the heart of the lion. Now, here's why this matters to us tonight. 2,000 years ago, this very wonder, this very phenomenon shocked the entire Middle East. If it's this occurrence that astronomers, astronomers believe lit up the night sky on that first Christmas night. I told y'all there was a reason for all this. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with a great fear because they had never seen something this bright and this wonderful ever before. Now, it's on that note that I want us to turn over to Matthew 2 and I want to read a very familiar story, a story that you now know a little bit of context for, a story about the Magi, the Magi from Persia, the Magi from Babylon, the Magi from the Far East, who had been looking at the stars for generations. Finally, something stood out to them like never before. Jupiter and Venus had crossed paths. And because of the way the sun shone through those planets, the king star, Regulus, the heart of the lion, was brighter than they had ever seen before. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, the king, the king, behold, wise men, magi from the east, came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. When he gathered all the chief priests and scribes and the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, for this was written by the prophet. 
You, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not, are, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men or the magi, determined from them what the time the star had appeared, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring him back to me, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. So it was moving because the planets were moving. And as the planets moved, the star or the perspective of the star would move as well. Verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. When they had come to the house, they saw the young child and with Mary, his mother, they fell down and worshiped him. And when they brought, they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their country another way because they were not the same as when they first came. Now, both Babylon and Persia associated their kings with lions, empires with lions, but those empires were gone. These magi were a part of a dying breed, a part of a remnant from long ago. Uh, but there was another nation that associated its uh, kings with lions, and that was the tribe of Judah, who of Israel. Babylon was gone, Persia was gone, but Israel against all odds was still there. Herod was not their rightful king. He wasn't even Jewish. He wasn't even from the tribe of Judah. The Magi didn't know this. All they knew is they saw the star. They saw the heart of the lion. They saw the king star. They saw the next lion king. And they, rightful, they, they came to see that this next king had been born the night that the star lit up the sky. And they could tell it was in a distant country near the Mediterranean Sea. And of course, that's where they went. The Magi saw this phenomenon in the heavens and wondered, could this be a sign that the king has been born to none other than the nation of Judah? And so they made haste to see if it was so, and they were never the same after that. Now, you don't have to know all the backstory to understand the phenomenon of that Christmas star. You can just believe that God put a star out of nowhere, but I think it helps us understand, helps us appreciate that this was God talking to a group of people that had been desperately looking to the heavens for generations. And finally, they got their answer. There's something else that's remarkable about this whole series of events, and this might be a little bit mind-breaking, so just bear with me. We've got to tap back into what we learned at the beginning of our, our, our time tonight. Remember, a light year? A light year is the distance light travels in one year. So let me try to make this as practical as I can. And again, I don't, I don't expect anybody, including myself, to really understand this. But this is kind of how it works. When you look at a star, you are looking at the light that came from that star it takes years for the light of any given star to reach us. Now, again, we don't really understand how this works, but when I'm looking up at the night sky, and I see the light from a star or even the sun, which is a big star. I am seeing light that first began to travel to the earth way before this day and time. So therefore... 
when you look at a star, you're actually seeing what it looked like years ago. So to give you an illustration, the star sends its light and its ref- the reflection that we see is actually old by the time it gets here. And again, we can't really understand how that works, but that's the gist of it. A light year is light, the distance light takes to travel in a year. So the light came from the star and it takes however many light years to get here. The light travels from the star. We see the light in the sky as if it's the celestial body, but it's really the light that's traveled here from the body much farther away. So we're not really seeing the star as much as we're seeing the light from that star that is emanating from all that distance away. So for instance, the sun is eight light minutes away. So the sun we see, the sunlight we see right, or we see today at any given time of the day is actually like eight minutes old. And again, doesn't make any difference to us, but there's a message here, I promise. The star Regulus is 77 light years from Earth. So it takes 77 years for light from Regulus to get here. So when the stars line up so that we can see Regulus within the constellation Leo, that means what we're witnessing is actually something that happened 77 years prior. So when Jupiter and Venus line up and Regulus shines bright, it takes 77 years for that phenomena to reach our line of sight. So you know what that means? Long before the shepherds were in the field with the flocks, long before Caesar issued a decree, long before the Immaculate Conception, long before the Bethlehem light of Christmas was in the sky that we could see, it was on its way from 77 years earlier. Long before people knew that there was, a crisp, there was going to be a Christmas night, God already put the light in the sky, had already sent the light. 77 years before Christmas, God sent the light. So I tell you all this to showcase how God has his hands all over the universe. God's plans are so thorough and so specific and so organized and so detailed. And Christmas is just another example. God set something up in the heavens because he knew it's gonna take 77 years for this light to get in the line of sight of those three magi. So if if, if God so meticulously planned out Christmas, 77 years before it ever came. He said, oh God, oh, oh, hang on angels. We gotta make sure this is going on in the Milky Way galaxy. Jupiter, Venus, they gotta line up. This star, the heart of the lion, it's gotta shine that way because 77 years from now, those three guys in that tower looking up at the night sky, they are gonna see that light. But in order for them to see that light, I gotta send it 77 years earlier. We wonder if God pays attention to what's going on. We wonder if God is surprised at the bad news, at the unexpected news. Christmas proves to us God is fully in control. They had been looking for ages. The Magi had spent thousands of years, 77 years before Christmas. God lined up the stars just for them.
And that's the heart of the Christmas story. You don't got to know all this to appreciate it, but I think it helps us appreciate it. Long before you and I were born, doing the worst or doing the best, falling or succeeding, feeling far away or feeling close, God had already sent his light to us. Do you see this? Long before you and I ever had our problems tonight, ever had our prayer requests tonight, long before you and I were sitting here with the worries we have on our minds, God knew God had a plan. God has a plan. And God is inviting us to trust him. Christmas reminds us God is a miracle worker. He is at work in the most wonderful of ways. And I hope our time tonight has awakened our sense of wonder and maybe we'll be extra sensitive to what God is up to over the next couple of weeks. Because here's the, here's the beauty of Christmas. Not that we might would find him. Christmas is, tells us that long before it was their turn to look for God, God was looking for them. So, the message tonight is not that we might find God, but that we might realize in Christmas, God finds us. God comes to where we are and he gives us what we need when we need it, when we can hear it and understand it. So if we can just be still and humble ourselves and worship him, his light is shining bright and brilliantly. All we have to do is look up. If you ever doubt if God can reach you, if God can break through in your life, if you ever doubt that God is able to do what you need him to do, the Christmas story reminds you, God is not waiting for us to find him. God knows where we are and God is ready to find us, if we will just open our eyes, we will see he's right there waiting for us. Maybe take more than just a five-minute conversation with a coworker to explain that to them, but let people know as you talk this Christmas season, do you understand just how much planning went into Christmas? You would never believe just what God was up to. And just how much proof that is that God has a plan for all of us. He's turned a light on and his light reaches us right when it needs to, right when we're looking towards him. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this night. Thank you for your light that you've put in the sky for us. Thank you, Lord, that the story of the, the Magi who were trying their best to find you for years and years and years and to no avail, finally, finally, you found them. Father, remind us tonight, encourage us tonight that you are the God who can find anybody. You are the God that searches the lost and finds the lost and brings them home. Lord, I pray you would do that to everybody tonight. We've got friends and family, loved ones that are lost and need to be found. We entrust them to you. And we know that you are able to find them in your time and use this Christmas to bring people home to you. Set your light in the sky that we might come home. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.